Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And we have back in studio with us today, Heritage Foundation Senior Legal Fellow, Sarah Parshall-Perry. Sarah, welcome back. Holla! <laughs> <laughs> you made it. I feel like it's been a hectic morning for everybody. Oh, and I, we're it, just really, like... it really has. <laughs> and the traffic has been awful. There's plenty of construction coming in. and Yeah. yeah. Tis, tis the season. Yes, it sure is. It sure is. It's like everybody waits for all the most problematic <laughs> issues with commutes and work until you are heading into the holiday season. I feel like we have about two more weeks and then things are going to start to slow down in Washington, D.C. People are going to start to head out of town yeah. and disappear, which is good. Thank God. And there's a lot There's a lot to do to get ready, I always feel like, for Christmas. It's fun. There's a lot of activity. The White House is already ready for Christmas. They are decorated. They're decked out. The theme this year is magic, wonder, and joy for the White House Christmas decorations. And I'm going to be honest, I've looked at some of these pictures. I like the decor. It's actually fun. It's yeah. really fun. It's yeah. bright. It's cheery. It's honestly maybe one of my favorite Christmas decor decorating years. I will say, having been through the White House at Christmas time from when I was in the previous administration, it is so much fun mm-hmm. to see the inside specifically decorated for Christmas. Yeah. And there were themes last year or in the previous administration where all of the trees were representative of different states in the so Union. Cool. So neat, right? Oh, but yeah. it just, I mean, you can never go wrong decorating the White House. Yeah. So, so pretty. Well, the the scandal this year at the White House related to Christmas decorations is that in the previous two years, the Biden family has hung stockings for all of their grandchildren over the mantle in the, the state dining room. This year, they're not doing that. They've gotten pushback the past two years because they have hung stockings for all of their grandchildren except Navy, who is the child that Hunter Biden had with a woman who he is not married to. Originally, Hunter Biden contested that it was his child. The DNA test proved, no, this is your child. There has been court battles over um, child support and all of these things. And it took a very long time for President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden to acknowledge that Navy even existed. They finally did earlier this year. And they said you know, in a statement saying something like, we want what's best for all of our grandchildren. And that includes Navy. But they forewent the stockings this year, no stockings for the grandkids. And the White House gave the reason, well, the Bidens are celebrating Christmas at Camp David, so they're not going to have stockings at the White House. They're nixing the grandkids' stockings. But at the end of the day, we all know it's because they're trying to avoid that very awkward either we hang a stocking for a grandchild that I don't even know if they've ever met or we get all this pushback from the media for Correct. not having a stocking for her. You know, there's no winning solution there's to no, this, yeah. but <laughs> I would say I would say the moral and just solution is to hang one for Navy sure. as well. Sure. Obviously, this is a child that has as much worth as mm-hmm. any other child mm-hmm. that was born of a natural marriage between mm-hmm. a man and a woman. So I would like to see a stocking hung for that child as well. And this particular administration seems to pick and choose those sort of parenting interests that it believes will further its agenda. (laughs) You know, and and we're going to talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. later in the show, but this is one of those 
hypocritical representations we've seen from the White House, right? So when, when we've heard the Biden administration talk about they are all our children, which, of course, we know they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, does that include Navy? Because you apparently do not think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they do include what commander, right? Commander who has, you know, the worst reputation. banished from the White House, I think, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. there is. For I'm biting Secret Service members repeatedly. Right. And that's kind of the joke I've seen on Twitter is they have this, like, they might not have stockings this year, but they have, like, either a stuffed or ceramic version of Commander in the decor. <laughs> yeah. So acknowledging that, that little, you know, pet mom and dad moment. But I think it's so funny because I'm looking at a report from the New York Post and they, they wrote in the comment section underneath of the photo of this ceramic dog, this Commander doesn't bite, at least we don't think he does. And it's like, you literally don't know. Like, so we're, we're not acknowledging the child that, you know, is a little bit of a contentious subject, but we're acknowledging the misbehaving dog, dog that has literally hurt so many Secret Service agents. Correct. Oh, that is very funny. Wow. Okay, well, Kristen, we have a full show today. Go ahead, let us know what we have queued up. Yeah, up on today's Problematic Women, we bring you the latest on the release of Israel hostages and some of the consequences that have come from this nearly two-month-long conflict. Then, the Biden administration is once again attacking family values, this time through a rule that would brand those with traditional views as unfit to foster LGBTQ plus children. Sarah will break that down for us. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Every day for the past six days, we've seen small groups of hostages released. Now, remember, on October 7th, Hamas took about 240 people hostage during their terrorist attack on Israel. The majority of those hostages are Israeli, but there's also Thai people, Americans, Russian citizens who are among the hostages. Some of those have been released. We are nearing about 100 hostages having been released, but this means that there's about 140 still in captivity. And the way that the hostage agreement has shaken out so far is that originally there was an agreement to release about 50 hostages over the course of four days. During this time, the two sides agreed to a temporary ceasefire. The ceasefire was then extended two more days, and an additional uh, small groups of hostages were released both on Tuesday and on Wednesday. In exchange for about the 90 hostages that have been released so far, Israel released about 200 Palestinian prisoners who were held in prison in Israel. So I was reading an article, been just kind of taking in so much information on this issue over the past couple of weeks. And I was reading an article this morning from Reuters that explained that not only do we know hostages are being held in multiple locations, but we also know that they're being held not just by Hamas, but by other groups such as Islamic Jihad. Islamic Jihad says that they're holding about 30 hostages. Between the numbers of what we know Hamas is holding and what Islamic Jihad says that they're holding, that leaves about 20 other hostages that Reuters says are likely being held by smaller radical terror groups. 
So Israel says it's on Hamas's responsibility to locate all of the hostages in Gaza. They say they're fully capable of doing that. Um, and Israel also has said, though, that after the, the ceasefire agreements are, are over, that they will return to fighting. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the current agreement right now is that for every 10 hostages released, Israel has said we will release 30 Palestinian prisoners and agree to pause fighting for another day per 10 hostages released. Um, I think that this is an interesting agreement. I would love to hear from you all what you think. Is this fair that Israel has said we will pause fighting and we'll release 30 Palestinian prisoners per every 10 hostages released. What do you all think? Yeah, I I think it is. And I think it's honestly one of the ways that Israel is wisely beating back what we're hearing from the progressive left, Mm -hmm. which is that they are occupiers Mm -hmm. and they are colonists because what they're doing is putting their citizenry first and, in fact, have actually reached out to Palestinian citizens of Gaza, providing them safety instructions Mm -hmm. on not moving north because that is a war zone, but telling them they can move to South Gaza if they would like to avoid the fighting. They also fire warning shots even during periods of active conflict. Israel has, and having been there three times and met with IDF forces, I will tell you their compassion for the citizens, no matter what their ethnic descent is, whether they're Israeli, whether they are Palestinian, is really unsurpassed anywhere else in the world aside from, I would say, probably the United States. But they have expended every effort to get back the citizens. And remember, some of these are children. Mm -hmm. So we want to get those babies, those infants, toddlers, teenagers out of the hands of Hamas captors Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. And I think they're, they're taking the wisest approach possible. If this continues to work, it would not surprise me if they extend it two more days. Mm -hmm. And that would be something I think that would really benefit not only the safety of the citizens in Israel and these families who are desperate for recovery of their children, but it would also benefit what we're seeing in the West, which is this horrible narrative Mm -hmm. that Israel is the one who is actually a terrorist force when we know that to be absolutely not true. Yep. And you have to think about it from the perspective of those parents, right? And and I'm not one, but I just, if someone pulled a gun out to, on someone that you loved, you would give them anything to ensure the mm-hmm. safety of that loved one. And that is the grace and, and love that we are seeing demonstrated during a time that is so full of violence and terror and just confusion, honestly, confusion. And I think that's what's so disheartening about some of the things we're seeing online, because You know, I have a lot of uh, friends from all over across the political spectrum, and some of them, it's insane. I've seen some of the things they're posting, and I'm just like, I cannot believe that that is true. Like, I cannot believe that that is true. We're seeing, you know, propaganda pushed. We're seeing people calling Israel the, the problem. Like, that's, you know, that's just the rhetoric we're seeing on the left. And it's like, how do you see them releasing 30 Palestinian prisoners for every 10 hostages released? And prisoners versus hostages. Let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. These prisoners have openly attacked police officers, 
like citizens of Israel, anyone that is Jewish. They have a hatred in their heart that has driven them to stab and to harm people of Israel. And Mm -hmm. that is the difference. And that, I think, just speaks way further than the propaganda that we're seeing that Israel is like, you can have these people back. We just want our citizens. I think it's important to remember it's not Israel who's the occupying force in power in Gaza. It is Hamas. That is what we're seeing right now. So a terrorist cell occupies Gaza and it's Israel who's doing everything they can to protect the innocent Palestinians by saying, don't move north. That's an active war zone. You can move south. We're going to fire warning shots. If we're going to be in that area, they are trying to crush Hamas, who not only terrorizes Jews in Israel, but also their own Palestinian people who they have used as shields. Uh I think we have to do everything we can to crush totalitarian forces while also protecting the citizenry. And I think really they've done a Herculean effort in Israel of trying to balance those two interests. And you can do as much of the warning shots, uh, the giving of a heads up and the advising of moving south. If Hamas is standing there with guns and ready to kill anyone that's going to go south, that is Hamas attacking right. their own citizens. So that's something that I've seen that's been very confused in, so on social media. And it's just, again, pushing a narrative. So always ask questions. Always look into things because the rhetoric you're seeing that, you know, Israel is causing this issue, like there, it goes deeper than that. It really does. And I think it's really important to remember how much Israel has given to Palestinians, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. the whole notion of not being in a position to ever have the land that you want, the Hamas narrative is from the river to the sea, it is not Palestinians will be free. It is we will crush the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Remember, that is how the entire Hamas organization developed because radical Islam is not content simply with getting more land Mm -hmm. because Jordan, for example, is Palestinian. What we're seeing is an attempt to utterly destroy Israel. They will not be content until that happens. Israel has every right under international conventions to be able to defend itself. And I think it's doing that as well as it possibly can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. And the the information that we've seen from hostages who have been released is incredibly telling of who Hamas really is, that uh, the brutality, we still don't know a lot about the conditions that these hostages were kept in. I was actually having a conversation with my roommate last night, and we were both sort of discussing, you know, why do you think there isn't more information about the way the hostages were treated because now there, you know, there is a good amount who have been released. We've learned, you know, that some groups were fed, you know, mainly rice and bread, that they lost a lot of weight. They were forced to sleep on chairs. They had to wait hours to use the bathroom. But I was sort of like, okay, we're still getting kind of bits and pieces. It doesn't feel like we're getting the whole picture. And one of the things that had occurred to me was, okay, well, maybe they're really limiting the amount of information for the safety of the hostages that are still being t- being held. And I was reading a report from Fox today that essentially said that same thing. They said that I- Israeli officials are requesting that hostages not go too into detail about the way that they were held for the sake of protecting those that are still being held hostage. But from information that we do know is really specifically related to kids who have been released, that a lot of parents, a lot of caregivers are saying 
that they have been shocked by how quiet their children are mm. or you know for those whose parents have been killed by the adults in their life are saying you know my child is is whispering everything that you know for 50 days they were conditioned mm. you have to be silent mm. and now they're just living in a state of fear where they're scared to make any noise i mean these are the small details that we're slowly learning about the state of how the hostages were kept as i said we know that they've been kept in in multiple places we're going to talk a little bit more about one of the little girls later on in the show that has been released but I, I do, I think it's important to note, you know, we're, we're obviously having this conversation on, on Wednesday, so we can release early Thursday morning. So, Sarah, like you said, we're likely going to see an extension of the ceasefire. Hopefully more Israelis will be released. But at the same time, we also know that it's, it's very likely that this fighting is going to restart because Israeli officials have said from the get-go that their end goal is to dismantle Hamas. Mm-hmm. That is their objective. And in order to do that, fighting has to restart. So, I mean, because Israel officials have, have made it clear that that is their end goal, that their end goal is to eliminate the leadership of Hamas— Do you think that Israel should even consider, because you have voices who are pushing for a permanent ceasefire, is that something that Israel should even consider? I don't think so until they can absolutely ensure that Hamas has been eliminated. Yeah. And remember, we've already heard other organizations, other terrorist organizations like Islamic Jihad come out in support of Hamas. Mm -hmm. So the problem does not seem to be getting smaller. It seems to be getting bigger. And I think part of that is the extension into the Western narrative, right? Mm -hmm. The Western dialogue and how we're suddenly seeing these increases in Gen Zers who are Mm -hmm. identifying now as brand new Muslims who are sort of touting the benefits of the Quran. And what they don't understand is that This is something that is precisely within the desires of terrorist organizations. Mm -hmm. They would love to see Western democratic interests crushed and using the youngest members of the upcoming population. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect way to do just that. I don't think the Israeli IDF can fully say at this point, We've eliminated all of the terrorist interests. Yeah. So No, you're absolutely right. And Sarah, I'm so glad that you brought that up from what we're seeing from young people and this very interesting, almost new fad of Gen Zers flocking to Islam. We're going to dive into that a little bit more in just a second here. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with the issues that I care about. So if you're anything like me, you probably enjoy... Maybe wasting time is too strong of a word, but using some of your time on YouTube to research interesting topics or maybe just to be entertained. But something that can repeatedly be a challenge is knowing which information on YouTube is actually well-researched and trustworthy. And that is where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to not only keep you up to date on the news that you care about, but also to entertain you and give you facts and data succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel today just by searching for Daily Signal on YouTube. 
I'm so glad that you brought up Gen Z because that's what I wanted to dive into next, actually. <laughs> what a wild world. And and the reason for this is what really caught my attention is I am an Emory graduate. So, you know, I have some ties there. I, you know, was in my formative years there. And I just remember going on Twitter and I saw this kind of ridiculous protest happening out of, outside of former First Lady Rosalind Carter's memorial service. And that's, you know, uh, unfortunately, she passed away. And it's been the coping behind that. But so at her memorial, um, a lot of protesters gathered to call on, you know, government, Biden, etc., to call for a ceasefire. The irony of this, <laughs> both President and Miss Carter supported a two-state solution. And you can go to right. the Carter Center and see right. that. It has <laughs> been long, long time they've been doing that. So yeah, it's, it's clear that nowhere is safe, not the memorial, and certainly not social media platforms like TikTok, which obviously is no surprise. What we're seeing there is an influencer, if you will. Megan B. Rice is actually now encouraging her followers on TikTok, TikTok to turn to the Quran to better understand Islam. And this is very interesting to me because I actually, I've been in a lot of Bible studies. And one year we actually studied a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And that Mm. is by Nabil Krushi. But in that... Highly recommend the book, by the way. so good. It's wonderful. It is so, so good. But he... He starts off as a very devout Muslim. He is raised there. His family immigrated from Pakistan. And he talks about just how he was raised. And it's very interesting. They learn very early on how to debunk the Bible and a lot of the the Christian Mm. teachings that, you know, a lot of Christians are raised on. And it takes verses from the Bible and and says, this is where they're wrong. This is why Muhammad is right and Jesus is is wrong. And it's very interesting because um, he goes to school, meets a very devout Christian, and they debate. And again, go read the book. You can see more of what happens. But spoiler alert, he ultimately converts to Christianity. And that is largely because he realizes the memorization and the basis of a lot of what he was taught did not stand against the Bible. Not trying to attack anyone's religious beliefs here at all, not trying to do that. But what I guess my point in saying all of this is you can read the Quran, but unless you understand the whole picture and you start to evaluate based off of actions, not just words, you're not going to ever get the full picture. But Sarah, what's your what's your take? I'm curious. You know, I, I think it's the result of a couple of different things. First of all, the influence of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Gen Z is absolutely inundated with social media imagery. I think number two, we've got these liberal professors, right? So we know that the left occupies academia and most university professors are the same professors who are teaching the individuals who will grow up and go to these institutions, who will be inundated with critical race theory, critical gender theory, and the criticism of Western interests. I cannot, for the life of me, understand this slavish commitment to the notion that Israel is occupiers, right? Anybody who knows their history, who has studied this, even for five minutes, can recognize specifically that Israel has given land, given land, given land, given land. You can look at a map and see where they've gone from 1947 onward in trying to protect their 
very small state the size of Rhode Island, and they've given so much to Palestinian interests. What has happened? Hamas has come in. It has occupied the areas that were given to Palestinians, and it's not until those forces are crushed that I think Israel can fully be free and its people can rest. But we're seeing so much of this in academia. So the influence of social media, the liberalism of the professors who are towing the party line on bad history and critical theory that I think is just prevalent in higher education right now. And I think on top of that, we're seeing this influx of immigration and those individuals from other countries, including from South Israel, including from Gaza, who are carrying these narratives with them that Western interests and democracy and self-governance are bad, that mm -hmm. you must, through terrorist action, occupy areas if you believe that those are illegally held by another country. And it's scary because I think that this has been brought up before, but we're in a generation now that doesn't remember 9-11. And Correct. a lot of this, <laughs> I mean, I was only, what, four or five at the time, but I, I studied history. A lot of this was happening around then, too. And to your point earlier, Virginia mm. and, and Sarah, you both kind of touched on this isn't just an Israel problem. Other groups are, are right. joining forces. It's mm -hmm. a coalition of terrorism, frankly. And we have an open border. So what's going to happen? We're seeing, you know, Rainbow Bridge happened a few days or a week ago. No one is safe. And if we do not stand against terrorism, if we do not set the precedent that, like, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, to be honest. If we don't set the, t the precedent that you cannot act the way that Hamas is acting, it's only going to get worse. And they're doing it in the name of a law, which is terrifying. Right. Mm -hmm. so, it, so it really is, in many respects, another holy war, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then we've got Iran, which is the sleeping nuclear giant right yeah. now, who's already expressed support for what Hamas is doing. Which wouldn't be as powerful if it wasn't for Biden. Correct. Like, Correct. Yeah. Well, I that's this is repeatedly my frustration, I think, when you hear individuals talk about conflict in the Middle East is there's just such a fundamental misunderstanding of radical Islam. And it's really hard, I think, for a lot of the Western world to understand that terrorists, radical Muslim terrorists, don't care if they live or die, that there is glory in death. There's glory in, quote unquote, being a martyr for the cause. And so, you know, for it, it's just such a disconnect that in our Western world, we preserve life at all costs. That's the end goal. They don't really care about that um, as far as the, you know, the radical terrorists. So, you know, we really have to understand that aspect. And then, you know, gosh, for our, our lovely Gen Zers out there, uh, you know, I, I think there's so many interesting things to see that are unfolding here. And while there's this element of almost like a fad, like for Gen Z, it's like, okay, this is this is the new passion project mm. to get behind Muslims and support. Palestinian individuals have been killed, and that is a tragedy, and we grieve that. Full stop. That yeah. is a tragedy that, Absolutely. that civilian lives have been lost. No matter what your ethnicity. No matter yeah. what your ethnicity, no matter what your faith. And at the same time, for 
Gen Z, they they need to understand that Hamas is is like you said, Sarah, Hamas are the occupiers. They have come in. They have put Israelis in danger. They have put Palestinians in danger. And they are so radical that for the the lifestyle of the majority, the vast majority of the Western Gen Zer could be killed by Hamas on right. like just because of the the way that they're choosing to live, whether they're choosing to live, you know, an LGBTQ lifestyle or they're just choosing to, as a woman, have your hair show in public. Mm, right. I mean, they, yeah. there needs to be an understanding of no, 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 no. This is a completely different sect. We're not talking about protecting the lives of Palestinians. That's on that's a priority for everybody. The focus right now is destroying Hamas who is pure evil. And I will say, Megan Rice, one of the reasons she has, you know, uh, under the hashtag Quran Book Club, highlighted, you know, the Quran is largely because of the resilience and faith of those Muslim Palestinians. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that resilience and faith is God-given. It's not Hamas-given. And I think that's huge. But to your point, there is this kind of shifting that is happening, Passion Project. And I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but it, it, I think it's called Jesus Revolution on Netflix, and it looks oh, yeah. really good. Yes. And I, 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 it was a good movie. <laughs> it seems like that's kind of, you know, we've been in this period where religion and faith has kind of been neglected, and now it's coming back, and I love it. It's wonderful. My church is more full than it's ever been. But it's interesting because in an article oh, at the, the Guardian, Rice actually highlighted that one of the reasons she was so in faith of the Quran is because men and women are equals in the eyes of God. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, it always has been since Genesis. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So but you would never know that looking. And I, 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 I'm, I'm no, I am no Muslim scholar, but it, it is important to note that a lot of the way Muslims live, you know, they're not necessarily directed to oppress women to the extreme that they do in the Quran, and yet they have used their faith as an excuse to do it. Totally. Well, what uh, what always surprises me now is the sort of increasing visual that we're seeing on media outlets like X, which are signs queers for Palestine, when in fact the Quran calls that an abomination and mm-hmm. calls for the execution of uh-huh. anyone who is not expressing heterosexual tendencies. Yep. So that to me, I mean, it just shows you how uneducated yep. we are seeing in sort of this this young expression of growing interest in sort of the early millennials and the Gen Zers right now. And it's it's devastating. I think it calls for an increasing education. And quite frankly, it is one of the many reasons the Daily Signal exists and the parent corporation heritage exists so that we can educate people in the public about these issues that are not widely understood because in many respects, they are leftist narratives that are being sort of choked down by a lot of these younger kids. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be confused, but you got to do the research to look into it a bit more and and ask questions yeah so absolutely critical yeah but just kind of on (laughs) on the subject of like just kind of the, the spiritual battle that we are in right now there's 
more even on the home front that we're seeing. A new rule proposed by the Biden administration's Department of Health and Human Services aims to change the criteria required to foster a child. I have a description, but Sarah, I just want your take on this. (laughs) Oh, where to start? This boy, this administration, if you do not tow the LGBTQ party line with this administration, they will force you to tow the party line. And they are now using children to do it, which I think is absolutely despicable and abominable. It's really, really, I think, representative of where this administration's priorities lie. Remember, one of the first executive orders signed after he was sworn into office, the day of his swearing in, was an executive order directing all federal agencies to interpret sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Well, I have news for you. There are over 100 federal laws and regulations that prohibit sex discrimination. So you can see how this is a trickle-down effect into multiple agencies, multiple laws, multiple affects. And here at HHS, we're seeing this new rule through the uh, Administration of Children and Families who basically says you cannot foster if you do not confirm your child's gender identity or confirm your child's same-sex attraction, which ultimately leaves out religious dissenters from being foster parents. Well, there are nearly 400,000 children in the American foster care system and only 200,000 foster care parents Mm. in the American system. So we've already got a double ratio of how many kids need to find loving families no matter what their religious beliefs are. But once again, the Biden administration seems to forget this very small problem of the American Constitution Mm -hmm. and the First Amendment free exercise right. Mm -hmm. So my my very top-line assumption is that this will be struck down in court, but if the next administration has any sense, they will revoke this law immediately. And really quickly, so this is for foster care. Do I know they have a ton of background checks and a ton of different things for when someone actually wants to adopt a child, but is there anything like this for that where if you don't promise to affirm whatever they're feeling all the time. I mean, I guess unconditional love from parents is key. But, you know, is there anything regulation-wise like this out there for adopting? You know, it's interesting because they, many of these involve home visits Mm. to determine whether or not someone is a suitable foster parent. It's the same in the adoption agency. But because this is a federal regulation, this will go to federal dollars. So this, this is a funding program. And of course, the Biden administration, as many government agencies do, likes to use the power of the purse mm-hmm. to effectuate its policy aims. And here they're saying you cannot participate in a government-funded program unless you tow the party line on XYZ. There's a little case called Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, if you remember, where Catholic Social Services was Mm -hmm. prevented from actually being able to provide adoption services because of their religious Mm -hmm. beliefs. Remember, that also was participation in a government program. I think the Supreme Court had a pretty strong answer on that. (laughs) So I'm hoping with the comment period just closed, I'm hoping that there will be such an onslaught of comments that the administration will go, you know, we really overstepped here. We recognize this is a major constitutional problem and we're going to rescind the notice of proposed rulemaking, which is this first step in making a new regulation or 
if they decide they're going to plow ahead anyway, that there are some very creative and very aggressive litigators who take this to court immediately. Yeah. Well, and Sarah, what they will be saying if the Biden administration says, no, we are plowing ahead. You can't be a foster parent unless you affirm LGBTQ plus identities and get on board with this, what they will be saying is our agenda is more important than children. That's that's exactly it. And we've already seen this. And this is what terrifies me as the mother of three kids. Now, mine are older. They're all teenagers. One's in college. But this terrifies me as a mother because we've already seen state-level efforts in Oregon and Washington state to prevent custodial parents, these are birth parents, from keeping their own children mm-hmm. if they don't toe the party line on gender identity. Never in a million years did I think as a parent we would see a state trying to divest parents of custody of their own children if those children have gender dysphoria and the parents say, listen, we're going to talk this out. Mm -hmm. We're not going to provide a double mastectomy or genital surgery. We're going to we're going to take you to a counselor. We're going to get you through puberty. We're going to talk about this. We're not going to throw you on chemical castration drugs. I, I never thought this would be the state of the American discourse as concerns parenting rights. And yet here we are. We yeah. see it at the federal level and we see it at the state level. And George Orwell is saying, told you so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's totally insane. And we're going to be watching this really closely because this really is important. Sarah, like you mentioned, there's just such a vast difference in the number of kids that need foster care parents, <clears throat> excuse me, and the number of parents who who are available to foster. And we know that many foster parents, they do so because they're compelled to because of their Christian faith, because yes. of their religious faith. That's a large group of individuals who are choosing to foster. So if all of a sudden you tell all of those individuals who have deeply held religious beliefs, you cannot participate in this space because of your religious beliefs. First, it's, as you said, it's a violation of uh, their constitutional rights, and it harms children. That's exactly it. And then that 200,000 foster parent number right now gets even lower because you've yep. you've excised that p- portion of the population that's not going to tow your party line on gender identity and sexual orientation. And you've discouraged those that maybe were considering it. Absolutely. Yep. 100%, 100%. 100%. Well, Sarah, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for breaking this down. As always, it is a pleasure having you with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, stay with us because up next, we crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission. To deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now, it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to Abigail Edan. Abigail is the four-year-old Israeli-American citizen that was held hostage by Hamas for 50 days. Her parents were both murdered in front of her. She was three when she was captured, and her fourth birthday passed while she was in captivity. 
So the little girl's aunt spoke with the press, and the New York Times actually reported on this. And the aunt said that her niece was held hostage, thankfully, with with neighbors. So when the little girl's parents were murdered, she fled to the neighbor's house, and all of of the neighbors and her were taken hostage. So there was a group of five of them that were held for about 50 days. They were in reportedly some sort of apartment building. They were moved locations at least once. And among the five Israeli hostages, they were given a piece of pita bread, one piece of pita bread to split every day with uh, Middle Eastern spice. And according to the aunt, her niece didn't have a bath or a shower the whole time that she was in captivity. And of course, I mean, the family is, is so relieved to have their, you know, their little niece, their little four-year-old niece back with them. But we're still learning details about what this four-year-old Israeli-American citizen went through while she was in captivity. We know that when she was released, she had a really terrible case of lice, and they had to cut her really beautiful curly hair, which thankfully that will grow back. The little girl does have two older siblings. She has a surviving, of course, aunt and uncle and a surviving grandmother. But our thoughts, our prayers, of course, continue to be with Abigail, with her family, with all of the other hostages. The aunt told the press that you know, at this point, their biggest goal is just helping to get Abigail and her older siblings to a place where they can actually feel safe again, where they're not having nightmares at night. And, it, you know, it's to say it's tragic is almost an understatement. You know, like you can't just say it's it's tragic. It's hard to wrap your mind around what these individuals have gone through, what's playing out before us. But we celebrate Abigail, the bravery of this little four-year-old, even the fact that she knew to go to her neighbor's house for safety. You know, she she has an incredible story to tell. And, you know, I think we'll continue to learn more in the coming days, weeks, and months. But right now, we're just celebrating that she's with family. She is alive and continuing to pray for the release of every single hostage being held captive but with that, that seems like uh, I, a little bit of a heavy note to end on. But I mean, who our, our new? I've said it to so many people. Like our news cycle right now is just heavy. It's hard. It's hard in a holiday season. In a holiday too. season, yeah, we're already for people who have lost loved ones. It, it can already be a hard time, and I think it's it's all the more reason to to think about why we celebrate the holidays yeah. <laughs> to return to a place of, of contemplation, of prayer, of slowing down, of being thankful for the loved ones who we have in our lives. And I think just really quickly, mm. not to get too biblical or yeah, anything. No, you but, do. <laughs> go off, Kristen. You know, we're seeing, I mean, this is so, I, I don't even know how to explain this, but we are about to celebrate the birth of Christ. Mm. And I mean, everyone knows that story and it is beautiful that God sent his son for us. And while we're praying for those hostages, he's with them yeah, and he is comforting them. Mm -hmm. I just, just keep praying. Just keep praying for him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And um, again, not to go, go too biblical, but I mean, my prayer has been that so many of these hostages would come to know Jesus as, as their savior through this process and his goodness and his kindness and his love for them. Um, and so we continue to pray for that. But with that, that's going to do it for this week's edition of How My Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So go ahead, pull out your phone and pull up 
the Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. Leave us a rating, a review. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps. I've seen a few really, really sweet reviews come in. We do need more because once in a while, there is someone that doesn't like the fact that we are conservative women and they hop on there and they leave us a not very nice review. So ladies, we need your positive feedback <laughs> if you like the show. <laughs> We'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your support. Haters gonna hate, but it's all know. part of the deal. It's what, yeah. you know. <laughs> all right, guys, before we go, new new idea here. We're gonna see how this goes. Shaking things up. Yeah, if reviewing is not your thing, although it should be, you can actually let us know who you think Problematic Woman of the Week should be. We yes. will start putting that in the show notes, a link where you can recommend and then later vote for the next Problematic Woman of yeah, the Week. Yeah, and you can just DM us on Instagram. That's probably honestly oh, the easiest yeah. way. Send us a DM on Instagram and let us know, hey, I think so-and-so should be Problematic Woman of the Week, and this is why. Can't guarantee that we'll make them Problematic Woman of the Week, but I can guarantee that I will read and respond to the messages that come in, and we will consider in your recommendations. Have a great week, guys. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.